0: potential, and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor welcome everybody again to another episode of our show. We're bringing you another fascinating guest today who is helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, Today we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Mads Krosgaard-Thompson, who is Chief Executive Officer of the Novo Nordisk Foundation, uh, which is an international foundation and has a dual objective, uh, one which is to provide a stable basis for uh, the commercial and research activities within the Novo Group, of which Novo Nordisk Pharmaceuticals is the largest part of that, as well as to support scientific, humanitarian, and social purposes. In 2020, the foundation had a net worth that was over $73 billion, making it the largest financial endowment in the world. Uh, The foundation owns Novo Holdings, a majority shareholder of Novo Nordisk, uh, as well as Novozymes, a global leader in industrial enzymes, as well as uh, 75 uh, other assets. Uh, Originally trained as a veterinarian, a doctor of veterinary medicine from the Royal Veterinary and Agricultural University, now part of University of Copenhagen, Uh, Dr. Thompson also holds a doctorate in that domain as well. He started his career actually as a PhD in pharmacology uh, at the University of Copenhagen. Uh, He worked for a few years uh, at Leo Pharma, and then 30 years ago joined Nova Nordisk. Uh, Initially as head of growth hormone research, uh, moved to senior vice president of diabetes R&D, and in 1995 he was appointed senior vice president of Discovery and then eventually in 2000 became executive vice president of R&D and chief scientific officer. And over those years he has headed uh, the development of dozens of medicinal drugs, including within the diabetes franchise, uh, including groundbreaking developments of a glucagon-like peptide-1 technologies. Uh, Dr. Thompson has served as the president of the Danish Academy of Technical Sciences, chairman of the Board of the University of Copenhagen, and, and he's also uh, an adjunct professor of pharmacology there now. A lot to talk about. Dr. Mads Prescott thompson thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Thompson, I, you know, I, I very much enjoy uh, going into the, the publication background of our guests uh, within the peer reviewed literature, uh, and and in the search on you, you know, there is a clear delineation uh, between when you were doing research in uh, contact dermatitis and UTIs and leukotriene synthesis in uh, companion animals, and then when you started publishing about uh, insulin dogs and growth hormones and hemophilia factors. Uh, take us back a little bit, uh, if you would, to the beginning. Uh, why you decided on veterinary medicine? Uh, what got you into pharmacology and the human side after that?
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a bit of a funny story because I've always uh, I've always loved animals. You know, I, I'm a I'm a dog person, uh, and I visited uh, the family's farm. Uh, every summer holiday with all the, the big domesticated animals, cattle, pigs and so on. So it was kind of natural for me to go in that direction. But already after the first year of the studies, uh, I met a young PhD scientist who got me hooked on research. He was doing some very uh, hot research, and later on in the studies, I decided actually to write a book about pharmacology, a textbook of pharmacology, and that really got me into pharmacology, which has been my life uh, ever since the contact dermatitis stuff, which I did for a, a year or two. Since then, it's been pharmacology.
0: And you know, one of the things I have to ask about before we get into the Nova Nordisk Foundation, you know, as I was going through your papers, uh, one from 2006 really stood out. And I was looking at this, and I thought, you know, he must have written this recently, but this was 15 years ago, and it was a paper entitled uh, "Global Health: The Ethical Responsibility of the Pharmaceutical Industry." Uh, and in this paper, you know, you talk about the so-called triple bottom line, uh, whereby obviously pharmaceutical companies need to make a profit, but at the same time, we have to think about the environment, we have to think about the social bottom lines, uh, and you get this great example about, uh, I think, a neglected tropical diseases where, you know, Novo uh, were not good at, at those things, but were pretty good at pharmacology and stem cells and all sorts of other research. Talk about, you know, why you wrote this paper back in 2006, which obviously a lot of people are referencing this paper today. Um, it seems like you would have written it in 2021, but talk about this paper a little bit if you would.
1: Yeah, I recall reading a, a journalist from Danish television, and we discussed uh, whether the uh, the functional industry should actually go in the forefront of not only dealing medicines, but also making sure that there was uh, equity in healthcare and, and so on. And we decided not to, because I talked to my, my peers in the company, and they thought maybe it was not the best idea of a chief scientific officer to go ahead with such a book. But we ended up writing this uh, small uh, paper, uh, a couple of us, back in 2006, and it's been on top of my mind. Uh, already before then that as an industry we have a responsibility both to innovate but also create to create access to those innovations and make sure that all the elements that contribute to human health should be in, in a good order and I still feel like that and that's also what we do in the foundation as you know.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and moving to the Nor- Nova Nordisk Foundation, you know, obviously you have a, a broad purview, focus on improving people's lives. Uh, you have, you know, a broad, wide-ranging uh, set of interests in terms of research, but also education, innovation. Walk us through a little bit about the foundation, if you would. I talked a little bit in the intro of the structure uh, and sort of some of its holdings. And then also, you know, I, I come out of uh, my, my big farm experience was uh, at GlaxoSmithKline. And, you know, obviously we had uh, our R&D budget uh we also had a, a venture capital arm called sr1 which uh, took on a little more risky initiatives talk a little bit about how at novo you sort of you know wearing this hat of uh, you know you're R of D, now you're head of the foundation you have venture initiatives as well uh how you decide what becomes a pharma initiative a venture initiative or a foundation initiative Well,
1: well in many ways it's, it's very clear because the Novo is found even though we are the majority uh Uh, Owner of Novo Nordisk. We operate at arm's length. So it says in my uh, bio of the foundation that we should be a a solid and good owner of Novo Nordisk and make sure that the, uh, you can say, uh, research foundation of the company uh, has good conditions to operate under. So so we don't um, at all interfere with what the company does, but we are kind of, you can say, setting the stage by having uh, a research environment in Denmark that. is of such a character and quality, that it justifies that noobinoids can move with science. They retain their R&D headquarters on Danish soil, so to speak, because the Danish education system, the PhD level, the, the infrastructure, everything is in such a good shape that our companies can attract the right talent with the right background, and and have a fertile environment in which to do research. Of course their research is global, but they're still headquartered uh, in Denmark in in, in both companies, and that's part of our mandate. What, What we more than do is to follow our strategy, which has to do with the human health and health of the planet. We want a healthy planet, and we want healthy humans, and we want a healthy life science ecosystem to support that.
0: And, and one of the areas which um, obviously you made a lot of uh, waves in, the, in recent weeks is the announcement of the Novo Nordisk Foundation Center for Stem Cell Medicine uh, called Renew, um, established between three centers, University of Copenhagen, uh, Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands, and then a Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Australia, uh, 300 million euro over 10 years. And, and you know stem cells has obviously been one of those areas, a, a tremendous amount of promise some areas which have moved slower than others, but it seems uh, with this unique Renew model, you are, you're looking at all of them. So you're, you're looking at uh, uh, stem cells as potential uh, screening candidates uh, for new drugs. You're looking for you nutritional know, traditional stem cell therapies and you're doing some very advanced uh, sort of gene editing uh, for the future. Talk a little bit about uh, how you went about setting this up. You know, why, how we decided, okay, stem cells, this is gonna be a major uh, part of the, the foundation's initiatives moving forward. Board. Take us a little through this really amazing set of programs.
1: Well, Back in the 90s, when I was head of research at the New Rose Company, we, we did quite a lot of uh, basic stem cell research, first in mice and then later on on, on human cells. And uh, we, uh, we, I, I was kind of struck a few years ago by how much progress had been made, not only uh, in Denmark, but, but all over the globe. So for two decades, we were working on identifying differentiation algorithms for these uh, omnipotent stem cells to turn them into whatever cell type that is needed in the human body and a few years ago we came to realize that we were getting right to where we needed to be to start translating this basic research into potential curative medicines i mean implanting the cells that are lost in parkinson's disease in type 1 diabetes in heart failure Uh, that dream was about to become closer to reality so so uh, the the foundation had actually been uh, running a, a basic research center for stem cells for 10 years called Stem. They've done excellent research, but they were not really so translational. So one of the first things uh, I did as CEO of the foundation was to kind of decide with my board of directors that we will tune down the basic research center uh, because they've had success for now 10 years and then we'll take it to the next level with the Renew Center that you just uh, uh, elegantly described. Denmark, Netherlands, uh, Australia where there's so much synergy to be harvested between those principal investigators and the technologies that differ between the sites. But in aggregate, they will help us, I think, translate some of these basic discoveries into future human curative therapies for chronic diseases. So I'm really excited. And the idea is that two plus two plus two equals not six, but eight or 10 even. That's the theory behind this uh, international center. And, you know, Within the the
0: broader portfolio, um, you have uh, what is known as the Bio Innovation Institute. You established this back in 2017, um, and within this, you know, 85 active projects from various startups uh, from Denmark and, and other Nordic countries. Um, and I thought it was very interesting because you know you, you highlight specifically not just research here, but innovation and entrepreneurship, which is something uh, as we all know. You know, you could be a great scientist, but when at the end of the day, when it comes to uh, putting something, translating something, or commercializing. Uh, we have to have all these skills put together. Uh, talk a little bit about the Bio-Innovation Institute, if you would.
1: Yes, well, uh, I, the, the thing is that uh, Denmark has for many, many years been, relatively speaking, um, in the forefront of, of uh, good science, many publications and so on, but we are not and have not been in the forefront of translating all that excellent science into true innovation. So translational science, creating new companies, startups that actually one day might create, you know, value and new uh, medicinal products for, for, for Denmark and for the world has not been, um, you can say, a stronghold. So the idea was to facilitate the transfer of academic science from the labs in Danish and Scandinavian universities and out there to, to, to get them going uh, in the early phase of their life. And then our uh, holding company, the holdings can be one of the many, uh, you can say, facilitators of later phases in their life. But there's been a valley of death, so to speak, between the labs at universities and then the early embryonic life of, of uh, you can say, spin-out innovation. And that's what we wanted to facilitate by having a, a serial entrepreneur, Dr. Jens Nielsen, who now heads the BII, the Innovation Institute. And as you said, he has literally been able to spin out Uh, 80 plus projects into um, either now existing small uh, startup companies or soon to be companies and and i think it's been a bigger success than i would have uh, uh, thought and already uh, early uh, last year a year exactly ago they were spun out now as an independent foundation under the moonworks foundation and we fund them uh, every year and you know you you've walked us now
0: through uh frontier type technologies with the stem cell renew program Bioinnovations Institute, teaching uh, scientists how to become entrepreneurs and vice versa. Uh, but now you also have to think of the next generation and, and Nova Nordisk Foundation 2018 set up the LIFE program, ultimately um, with the main goal, strengthen public knowledge as well as education and research in relation to natural sciences, especially among uh, young people, young children. Uh, talk about the importance uh, of this part of the portfolio in, in keeping that next generation interested in the, in the natural sciences and not other things investment banking or all sorts of other stuff they could be going into now. yeah
1: well here, here's the thing uh, Denmark has um, historically uh, not had a very strong teacher. I mean our school teachers uh, many many of them have not really specialized and haven't really understood the newest development within natural and technical and health sciences they simply are not uh, educated uh, to, to really be able to, to grab all the new stuff so On the one hand, we actually have programs that specifically target better education and also uh, education for existing teachers, such that they are better equipped to understand all the new things that are happening with the green transition of the society and all the new developments that are happening, uh, which are exciting. But, But the LIFE Foundation is also a foundation that we spun out a year ago, and they specifically have the mandate to ignite and make shiny eyes uh, in all the kids when they think about natural, technical and health sciences. They, they should feel they want to go into STEM educations. Uh, and historically, uh, way too many have, have gone into other areas where maybe societal needs are smaller. And this is, is one way of actually equipping them both with the mobile laboratories that drive around in Denmark, and they, they can do experiments in these mobile labs that uh, which are based in huge trucks actually that drive around to schools in denmark that they could never even contemplate on doing in their own labs because they're not equipped for it and they can also come and see our foundation center which has a campus where people classes many many classes uh, every week will come to experiments and and be thrilled and enthused and hopefully some of them will remember that as they start and go to the college grades and, and later on universities that's the ambition and uh, it's something we also are going to fund over the next uh, 10 years. So hopefully kids that are more excited and also teachers that are more well-equipped. And moving
0: now from from uh, frontier research uh, through the social programs and now to more humanitarian focus, uh, a theme that I saw... Uh, at the foundation's uh, website was was this concept, and we've heard this before, uh, while we might think of uh, the low or medium income countries as infectious diseases being the, the major uh, influence on health, we're seeing dramatic rises as we are in the, uh, the developed world in terms of the chronic degenerative diseases uh, rapidly <laughs> increasing and in, in many cases sort of surpassing what we see on infectious disease front. Obviously, we've been in a pandemic the last couple of years, and that might have obscured some of it, but talk a little bit about uh, how Novo Nordisk Foundation looks at uh, the issue of chronic diseases uh, and how you balance sort of the humanitarian interests of the infectious and the non-infectious diseases.
1: Well, chronic diseases, uh, we have a major focus on, on cardiometabolic disease and I define cardiometabolic disease as a spectrum that ranges from obesity in childhood through to uh, obesity in adults leading to type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, fatty liver disease, and, and certain other chronic diseases that are all interlinked. So this whole spectrum of cardiometabolic disease is the number one killer on earth. It's a more frequent killer of people than than cancers in aggregate. And, and so we felt that with our heritage, 100 years of work on diabetes as a non-communicable chronic disease, it was natural for us to expand the disease focus into the whole uh, cardiometabolic uh, disease area. And we're doing that on two fronts. One is on the scientific front, so we're actually sponsoring research um, at the highest level at big research centers like the Center for Basic Metabolic Research, but also uh, looking into securing equity in, in, in healthcare when it comes to non-communicable diseases, in, in particular diabetes. So you will see us strengthen in areas of the world where there's been most focus on malnutrition and infectious disease, but where we are seeing the emergence of type 2 diabetes and similar conditions to come up on the top three, four problems in those societies where they are not uh, equipped to deal with it, a from an education perspective, and b from an infrastructure perspective, and and making sure that they can actually handle the problem, diagnose it, and and ultimately ensure that people get access to treatment. So so we both take uh, a view on focusing on securing. More, you can say, education, equity in health and so on, and at the same time, in the other end of the spectrum, making sure that high-end research makes it all the way out there so that we can have future medicines that are better equipped to do, or maybe even precision medicine, realizing that diabetes uh, and cardiovascular disease is not just one or two diseases, it's a sum of different Sub entities that we one day uh, might be able to handle with what I call precision medicine, so you target specifically the type of disease that you, as an individual, have, rather than you know shooting uh, very broadly. So, so we are we are very active and, and also want to do programs in areas such as India, where they are going to have the leading diabetes problem of the world, and in big parts of that huge country, uh, we think we can make a difference by securing better education of, of nurses, doctors, and so on, so that they are equipped not only for tuberculosis, etc., but also for diseases, uh, to, to treat diseases such as diabetes and cardiovascular. Excellent, excellent. And, 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 you know, speaking of, you, know,
0: you you talked about cardiovascular disease being the number one killer. Um, I, I, as I, once again, I as I was, I was reading about you uh, the last couple of weeks before this show, you know, a, a very interesting 2014 article came across my desk uh, entitled, Drug Makers Look to Push the Boundaries of Old Age. Uh, and, and in this article, you know, it highlighted at the time you had set up an um, uh, interesting collaboration with the University of Copenhagen, Oxford, and Karolinska Institute, uh, broadly looking at healthy aging. Uh, And this theme is one that uh, has gotten a lot of traction in recent years. We've done several episodes on our show. You were specifically, I think, talking about how you potentially could use some of the the type 2 metabolic knowledge in Alzheimer's disease. I'd love to sort of just get your thoughts now. We're in 2022. Uh, We see sort of the formation of a uh, sort of an embryonic uh, anti-aging pharmaceutical uh, segment uh, that is looking not sort of at the the diseases of old age, but actually aging processes itself. Um, coming from this 2014 article, uh, just give me your top line on sort of where the, the global pharma industry is uh, in terms of healthy aging and, and where you may be interested in going with this. I don't know if you're focused on it at all at the foundation, but um, give me a top line on, on healthy aging and, and pharmaceutical anti-aging if you would.
1: Yeah, so, so healthy aging, uh, that's a really hot topic for, for several reasons. One of them being that we are all of us getting older. As we get better at treating, you know, cancer and cardiovascular disease, we, we will get older and we all want healthy uh, aging over time. And, and, you know, there are many theories. Theories ranging from the chromosomes use, shorten their telomeres until one day, the cells can't divide any longer, and, and that stops us from, from living any further, through to a chronic low-grade inflammation being present with age, and that chronic low-grade inflammation can be, you know, leakiness of the guts, so, so that certain micro, microbes and inflammatory agents find easier access to the body and start creating inflammation, you know, in the cardiovascular system, in the liver, in the brain even. So there are many theories underlying What can uh, help us create a more healthy aging situation for each individual? And and as a foundation, uh, with our cardiometabolic disease focus, we're actually uh, looking into uh, also supporting that kind of research, uh, developing more healthy aging. I I would say that there are actually certain medications, glp one class of medicines, that have shown to work on different organs, uh, somewhat surprisingly, that that are all uh, affected by the aging process. So, you know, I think there are many uh, in the functional industry and in academic research who all want to contribute a little bit. We haven't found the Holy Grail uh, exactly what is the one thing or the most important things that can uh, lead us to a, a healthy aging process. But a lot of experiments are ongoing in animals where you can actually treat the lifespan of animals with everything from fasting to certain medications and, and, and uh, living conditions. So it's an exciting area. Um, You know, it's, it's
0: it's when 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 I when I Google the foundation, there's it seems like there's a a new press release every day of a new um, uh, grant that you've given. I saw one come across my desk uh, just a day or so ago on uh, the Novo Nordisk Foundation grant for for Syrian refugees. Um, there were there were some others in terms of uh, dose compliance. Um, t- I'm just going to hand you back the floor, Matt, just to talk a little bit. Of, if I've, I mean, I've talked about some of the major projects. Uh, Please highlight other things that I might have missed. That maybe at the uh, of those dozens of projects that you may want to highlight on the show while we have you.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, we have not spoken so much about the, the climate mitigation strategy, and, and you know, uh, we we created the first CO two research center at Aarhus University some months ago, an international center together with Stanford University and, and several others. Where, where as the first ones, we would really like to spur innovation, scalable cost-effective innovation that can either capture greenhouse gases from the atmosphere or avoid that they are emitted, whether it's from, you know, uh, industry uh, where CO2 is emitted or from agriculture where nitrous oxide and methane gas is emitted either from the soil or from cattle respectively. So so on the climate side of things, we are really wanting to, to do our bit when it comes to understanding how can we have a CO2 Neutral Society by 2050. This is an example of a mission-driven research center. Mm -hmm. Uh, Professor Alfred Sporman, the Stanford professor who's come to Denmark to lead the center, uh, he has ways of of monitoring year after year, making small uh, inroads into new technology uh, that biologically or chemically can uh, reduce CO2 emission or capture CO2 and use it for more beneficial purposes, such as biofuels, uh, feedstuffs, etc. So so on on, on the climate thing, we focus both on on greenhouse gases, but also on more healthy, nutritious food. Because we're a globe that is going to grow from 7.8 billion to 11 billion people during this uh, century. And that means that if we want to avoid deforestation and an aggravation of the climate crisis, we need to be able to have greater output, higher yields on the field, so to speak, by using biological solutions rather than herbicides, pesticides and fungicides. Uh, and, and that bio-agricultural approach, also having plant based food that can substitute some of the egg, milk, cheese, and beef that we're eating today. Not necessarily all of it, but what can do as good a job and still taste nice. That is something we want to spur uh, innovation in, in that area because we think human health is contingent upon planet health. And, and that means that if we have the healthy planet, we have the precondition for humans also being healthy, both psychologically and physically. So those two strategies, human health and planet health or sustainability of the planet, they go very much uh, hand in hand. And as you mentioned, at the same time, there are crises all over the world, such as you know the Syrian crisis, which has been ongoing for more than a decade. I mean, in Jordan and Lebanon, in those near areas close to Syria, it's a human tragedy. And we we would like to see uh, you know, some of those young people have a chance in life. We, we have a strategy of youth empowerment, and also female youth empowerment. So on the Syria story, which was uh, 200 million crore, we really want to make sure that some of those young females, but also young young men, get a better chance, whether they're in a refugee camp or out in the civil society, they're still refugees, a better chance of getting a relevant education that can get them a relevant job and give them the dignity that they can actually, you know, have their own family and have their own life without uh, having to depend on, on subsidies for the rest of their life. So, so we actually, uh, ever since uh, the foundation was created, have uh, done social and humanitarian work. It's, it's not the major topic of the foundation, but as the foundation has grown to last year, uh, I think have grant awards of 1.3 to 1.4 billion US dollars, social and humanitarian has become a, a significant part together with, uh, with all the scientific things.
0: It's a fascinating uh let's say ecosystem of projects i I really applaud you for it all and especially this connection between. I see you're the pharma company, but the healthy environment, healthy food, it's it, it's all integrally related. So it, it's, it's very fascinating to see. Um, Matt, one last question while I have you, and I guess I ask you to put your chief scientific officer hat back on for a moment. Um, obviously, you know, you, you've you been in the pharma industry. You've seen sort of the progression over the years from small molecules and proteins to you know, now we're in the stem cell era, the, the messenger RNA, the CRISPRs and the CAR T cells and so forth. Um, obviously, you know you, you're, the, you're the world's largest Endowment. You can always use more money, and you know. So, if, if money was unlimited, what are the areas that uh, get you most excited looking out now? If you said, "Okay, you know, uh, uh, from from now to twenty forty or whatever," what what are you personally hot on? Is it CRISPR? Is it uh, mRNA technologies? Is it other things that maybe we're not spending any money on? What, what gets you excited on the uh, the therapeutic side still today?
1: Yeah. So, so obviously, I, I think you mentioned CRISPR. I, I would say. Uh, The first proof of concept was achieved last year for in vivo gene editing. Of course we want to make sure it's safe, but now a company has shown that you can do in vivo gene editing uh, in a a hereditary, monogenic disease where if you just fix that one gene that is uh, uh, disturbed in the individual suffering from it, I I think that in vivo gene editing will become a a big thing, in particular in more rare diseases that are monogenic uh, or monogenic diseases. I'm also a strong believer in stem cells coming of age. We're not only really speaking, you know, for cancer, CAR-T, and, and that kind of modified cells, but also literally uh, replenishing the cells uh, in the brains of people with Parkinson's, in the heart of people with heart failure, uh, in, the, in the body of people with type 1 diabetes, etc. I, I do believe stem, stem cell medicine will come of age. And it's difficult not also to mention mRNA. I think with the mRNA breakthrough that we have seen with the COVID-19 vaccines, this could signal the emergence of RNA-based therapies, both the ones that interfere with RNA, so, uh, such as the small interfering RNA, which are already getting you know, uh, approved for, for several diseases, uh, rare diseases, etc., but also for lowering LDL cholesterol, like with the eclisoran that was approved a few months ago in the US, so we are seeing that RNA-based medicines, either mRNA or interfering with RNA, as well as other genetic medicines such as in vivo uh, gene editing, might actually render classic gene therapy uh, obsolete at some point if we can do in vivo gene editing where they actually fix the disease uh, on, on the spot. And then I think we still have to acknowledge there are many biological, many biological medicines that will be out there uh, for years to come. We haven't seen the last therapeutic antibody or you know, the, the last of the uh, peptide hormones uh, therapies. So it is exciting times, and I think there's more optimism in pharma biotech than you have seen for many, many years, typically with more than 50 new medicines being approved annually, which is way higher than it was uh, 50 years
0: ago. I always, I always joke that I, I, don't rec- I don't recognize the top ten product list anymore. That I, you know, when it was the Lipitor's and the Viagra's of the world <laughs> a couple of decades ago, it's, it is really an amazing era. And um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm just amazed once again by everything you're doing there, uh, and really rooting you on um, uh, for, for everybody that uh, is going to be listening to this particular episode uh, across our podcast uh, networks or, or watching on the YouTube channel. You've been listening to Dr. Mads Crossguard-Thompson, Chief Executive Officer of the Novo Nordisk Foundation, focusing on improving people's lives with medicine, diet, environment, social equity. Um, A very impressive portfolio, Mads. I want to thank you for taking the time uh, out of your schedule to come talk to us for a little while. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing there at the foundation. As we like to say on this show, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through everything you're doing. It's very, very impressive.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.